see your faces this morning. So grateful. C.S. Lewis says something. It's advice he gives to, to folks that want to listen. He says, if I had one piece of advice, by the way, can you guys hear me in the back? Awesome. C.S. Lewis says, if I had one piece of advice to give young single, young man, young family, here, here's what it is. Do everything possible to live close to your friends. Because friends matter most. And I want to say that I am so grateful that I live close to all my friends. I've got some family friends that live right here. And I've got some family of God friends that I get to worship with here at Adventure and at all the other churches here in Natomas. I live close to my friends. I live close to my family. I hope you have and are having that kind of experience with your brothers and sister in Christ. We are family. We're God's family. And yet we live in a season we know right now that is tenuous. This fall is tenuous. And I think today's message is very important. How do we make peace when there's so much conflict? the early church dealt with it because they had a big problem. They were having to mesh with all these new people that, with whom they had nothing in common in Acts chapter 15. How do we make peace when we have so much conflict? And here's the answer. You ask the question, what does love require of me? Much of today's message comes from my learnings from Andy Stanley's book, The Church of Irresistible Influence where he argues that that question is the answer to how we, how we go forward together, not just in marriages and family life, not just as a church, but as a city. We ask the question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? In the last month, there actually have been some super huge wins in unity. If you missed them, they've come out of the Middle East where two Arabic countries, Bahrain and the UAE have signed treaties with Israel that are unprecedented for decades. It's actually very, very exciting. But the early church was struggling to have unity with all these non-Jewish people, people that didn't know the Torah, people that were not descendants of Abraham, people that practiced weird religion. They were having to be infused with them. How were they going to do that and what was really at stake is how do you become a believer in the first century what's required and those Jews had 613 rules they'd been trying to keep up with and now all the rules have changed now it's just down to two of them so this is gonna, was going to require a real shift in their head a real pivot in their head and I think if we're honest some of us have been in the church long enough where we've got rules and expectations of others and I think we got to be careful of that uh, because we can unnecessarily ostracize ostracize others without even intending it there's a saying in essentials unity in non-essentials liberty in all things charity it dates back a couple hundred years we, we want in all things charity because our Lord said that a new command I give to you to love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's it. It's love. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's love. It's love. It's love. Turn to your kids and say, it's love. I love you. Yeah, yeah, I know you do. It's love. Well, at this, during this conflict, the, the, big, the big dogs are all gathered in this conflict in Jerusalem. It's Peter, it's Paul, Barnabas, and the Lord's brother, James, along with the religious right, the Pharisees, in Acts chapter 15. And they're trying to settle this issue. What are we going to do to let people into our church or into the group, into the, into the body of Christ? And they're trying to settle it with their own thinking. But what they learn is that they need to let the answer to the question, what does love require of me, settle the issue. So when it comes to your battles, your battles with your kids, your battles with your, with your supervisor or with a team member, your battles with a neighbor, your battles with uh, your spouse or a best friend, how are you going to achieve peace? and conflict-free relationships. I want you to enjoy that. I'm enjoying that, and I want you to have it. You want it? You want the secret? Yes. Do you want the secret? <laughs> Let's do this. Here it is. Love first requires five requirements of love. The first one is love requires that you choose your battles carefully. Choose them carefully. So listen, the religious right of the first century Jewish party chose their battle. I will not elaborate on this. I'll let you parents off the hook today. Here it is. Certain people came down from Judea and Antioch, that's north of Jerusalem, and they were teaching believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. How you doing? This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. I mean, they can't be a part of us unless... So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told the Gentiles, they told how the Gentiles, that is non-Jews, had been converted, and the news made everyone very glad. This was, this was incredible. It's something the Jewish nation did not expect at that point in history. When it comes to achieving peace, love requires that you choose your battles carefully. In marriage, you have to choose your battles carefully. In parenting, you have to choose your battles carefully. At work, you have to choose your battles carefully. You don't want to choose the wrong battle. In France, recently, a man in his 80s, this dear brother, was about to tuck into his dinner when he became irritated by a fly. Has anyone been irritated by a fly lately? They're here. So he picked up in his home an electronic fly swatter and started targeting it. But he wasn't aware there was a gas canister that was leaking in his home. The reaction between his device and the gas caused an explosion, destroying the kitchen and partly damaging the roof of the home. According to local media, the unnamed man 
had a lucky escape. He only sustained minor burns on his hand. However, the fate of the fly is still unknown. The man has since, he checked himself into a campsite where his family repaired his home. Sometimes we go after a fly or something irritates us and it's not the battle that we should be fighting. You gotta be careful about which battles you really wanna fight. And they say about leaders, I always think this is funny, choose, as a leader, you're supposed to choose what hill you're willing to die on, but don't tell anyone what it is. I don't know why, but I think it's probably good advice. So when it comes to choosing your battles, carefully, I've got eight questions for you. Here they are. Number one, am I yielding to scripture or am I trying to bend scripture to me? Have I become a single issue Christian? You've got to be baptized. You've got to tithe. You've got to be in church. You, you, you. Am I taking this too personally? Am I reacting or responding? Is my background blurring my vision? That's a good one. Is this a hill I want to die on? Has winning become more important than making a change? Can anyone relate to that? Do we have any folks that they just want to win? Doesn't matter. Choose your battles carefully. I only gave you seven because I don't quite agree with number eight. I know some of you were counting. Choose your battles carefully. Love requires that you choose your battles carefully. The early church did this as they were dealing with the Gentiles, and not only did they choose their battles carefully, but love requires that you plan your strategy wisely. Listen to their strategy that they, taught, that they learned from the Lord Jesus in verses 6 through 11. The apostles and elders, these are Jesus 12, and the appointed elders of the church at Jerusalem, and Antioch met to answer this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from the lips, from my lips, the message of the gospel and believe. And then he says this, God who knows the heart. And we learn this about, remember, the biography of King David. God saw that he was a man after his own heart. God who knows the heart. God knows the heart. He showed that he accepted them, Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit. By giving the Holy Spirit to them. So what was the mark of a Gentile coming to faith? It was the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. Or the Spirit of Jesus. The counselor, the advocate, the teacher who comes in. Just as he did to us. So he's saying, fellow Jews, the Holy Spirit came into the hearts of the Gentiles just as he did us. He did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. By faith he purified their hearts. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe, here it is, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter, he's just throwing it down. He's the hammer. He's turned in, he's, he's transformed from the foot and mouth dude to the preacher. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit fills you. Their strategy was 
the gospel. That the gospel, the gospel by the grace of God, justifies us through our faith in Christ crucified. No works necessary for our salvation. They're only for reward. This last week I had an opportunity I've been praying about for about a couple years. Just this last week. There's someone I've been praying for for two years that I'd have a chance to share the gospel with him. And I did. We were together last week and I said, hey, can, would you be comfortable if I talk to you about spiritual things? And he said, sure. I said, do you believe in heaven? He said, yes. I said, why do you think you're going to go there? He said, yes. I said, how come? He said, because I'm a good old soul. I'm like, cool. I said, uh, can, can we go into your office and talk? And he said, sure. And I said, I'm going to give you a heads up. It's something that's very unique about Christianity. No one's going to heaven because of their moral achievement. There'll be people in heaven that didn't achieve much morally at all. You'll be like, what are you doing here? And they may say the same to you. And there'll be people in heaven that were incredibly philanthropic and loving and caring. But when we all get there, we will realize it had nothing to do with our performance. Zero. And I told my friend, I said, I consider myself a fairly moral person. I'm not getting to heaven because of my good deeds. I am not. It's not. I'm not getting in because of me. The only way I get in is because of Christ crucified. That's it. And then my friend said, who had been raised in an Episcopalian and Catholic family, Episcopalian educated Catholic family on the East Coast, my friend said, oh yeah, he, he died for our sins and then was raised on the third day, right? I'm like, yeah. And I said, uh, do you believe that Christ died for the sins of the world? Yes. I said, have you made the decision to believe he died for your sins? He said, no. He said, what would keep you from making that decision right now? He said, I need to let this penetrate a little bit. I'm like, okay. Can I come back and bring it up again? He said, I'll call you. Okay, that's okay. Okay, I'll be praying. It's so important that we understand that when it comes to making peace with others, that we have the humility to understand when we're in conflict with others, that we don't, we don't come into that conflict from a place of moral goodness. We come into that conflict from a place of dependency on Christ's forgiveness. We're no better than anyone. But that forgiveness isn't the only part of the gospel. The second part of the gospel is the extraordinary event that we can place our faith on. Christianity is based on justification by faith alone, not by works, but it's also based on an extraordinary event, and that extraordinary event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That when his disciples came to check on him, what they saw, nobody expected. Nobody expected no body. Nobody. And it's that event that we can gather today as we did during communion and remember that our Christ sits at the right hand of His Father in Heaven. He's very involved and active in everything that's going on in our country. 
He is the one we can place our complete trust in. He's the one that's in control of everything and every appointment of every official in our country. We can place our trust in Him. Plan your strategy wisely. We're saved by grace through faith alone. Thirdly, listen humbly. When you're in conflict, you got to listen humbly, and that's what this group did. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. One of my friend's coaches, all my sons have had this coach, Coach Hamasaki, he's a friend. I've been to birthday parties of his, but he's known as a screamer, the hammer. Intercom Tiger, hammer. And uh, Jackson was telling me one time, uh, he got, he... He was not executing a play well on the field, and the hammer started screaming at him. And Jackson said, all I said was, yes, coach. And I came to the sideline, and Jackson's position, position coach declared Jackson a member of the bomb squad because he defused the Hamasaki bomb. <laughs> when you're willing to listen and, and just let people, kind of, let it just kind of blow past you and smile, you can defuse a bomb. Listening is such an art, it's such a discipline. I don't consider myself a great listener. I want to get better at it. When people feel listened to, you're giving them space to breathe. Learn to listen humbly. That's going to help. That's what love requires, listen humbly. We've got elders that listen very humbly in our church. I'm so thrilled to get to work with them. We have believers here that listen very humbly. Stay humble. Number four, make your decisions spiritually. This is what love requires. They said in verse 28, as they were making a decision about how to bring in these Gentiles, they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And I just want to say this, that what's good to the Holy Spirit will always line up with the teachings of Jesus and the authors of the first century documents of the New Testament. It'll always seem good. You make a good decision, it just seems good. Does this not seem good today, what we're doing today? Does it not seem good to the Holy Spirit? We're, we're honoring our, our governor's guidelines as best as we can. If there's a rule breaker here today, it's probably me, because I get so excited about seeing you, my mask call freaks out, but we're honoring our governor, and we're honoring the Lord Jesus Christ by worshiping him here today. It's good to the Holy Spirit. Number five, make your concessions graciously. You gotta, you gotta concede. Every relationship ha has a required concession. We live in a culture where we wear a mask sometimes not for our own security, but for the security of somebody else, right? And it's important. How come? Because it's what love requires. Love requires that I think less of myself and more of others all the time. That's what love requires. And so this early church, they made they made some concessions. These Jews, they made four concessions. Check these out. They're kind of strange. He says, okay, you you Roman Greek culture Gentile Christians, this is what we need from you, we Jews. We need you to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, because we were told when we were young we do not worship idols, so don't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols, please. Please don't drink blood. Okay, I'm not going to explore that. Um, please don't eat meat that's, that's, that's meat of strangled animals. It was a unique way of, of, of cooking. And stay away from sexual immorality. If you'll do this, you'll be good. 
So I want to say that these four imperatives given by the Church Council of Jerusalem, they don't have anything to do directly with keeping the law. They have everything to do with keeping the peace. See, what's behind corporate unity here, according to Andy Stanley in his book, Irresistible, corporate unity would require personal sacrifices from both groups. You have to be willing to sacrifice, to keep the affection, to keep the relationship, to keep the love factor. And so what I would say, what drives all of our decision making, we're not, it's not incumbent upon us to follow all 613 rules, we've just got two. One is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything we've got. It summarizes the first five commands of the law. But the second is what Jesus drove into his disciples. It's what his brother echoed in his letter. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. The real rule is loving your neighbor. That's where the freedom's at. That's where the peace is at. That's why the question to keep peace and conflict, we want to answer, what does love require of me? And I would ask you today, what does love require of you? You know that judge, Supreme Court judge Antonine, Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg had a very precious relationship. Both have, are deceased. They both loved opera. Scalia said they both liked nice wine and were born in New York around the same time. Now both of them were on opposite ends in their interpretation of the Constitution. They were from different boroughs a few years apart. But they were alike in a lot of ways. They liked each other and their spouses were also good friends. Scalia called Gins Ginsburg's late husband, Marty Ginsburg, a good cook and said his own father was a good eater. Something he said was another bond they shared. At one point when they were both judges together, sat next to each other, initially on an appeals court, Scalia would constantly whisper jokes into Ruth Bader Ginsburg's ear during arguments. She would have to pinch herself from keeping, to keep from laughing. Justice, Justices Scalia and Ginsburg disagreed fiercely in print without rancor in person. Their ability to maintain a warm and rich friendship despite their differences even inspired an opera. These two great Americans demonstrated that arguments even about matters of great consequence need not destroy affection. When Scalia was on his deathbed, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was celebrating a birthday. And Scalia was being visited by a former clerk, Judge Jeffrey Sutton, and Scalia gave Sutton two dozen red roses to deliver to Ginsburg on her birthday. 
Judge Sutton started teasing. Judge Sutton started teasing Scalia. When was the last time he asked that she sided with you on an important 5-4 decision? Just kind of poking fun. And then Supreme Court Justice Scalia said the following. He said, some things are more important than votes. What's more important than a vote? It's what love requires. It's loving our neighbor as ourself. It's being recognized in our own families and in our own communities, in our own neighborhoods, by our love for one another. How do we make peace in the midst of conflict? We ask the question and you answer it. What does love require? What's it gonna require? Imagine you asking that question of that fellow employee that drives you crazy. Imagine you asking that question of your parent with whom you're seated with today who sometimes bugs you. And you saying, what does love require for me to love my mom and dad? today or you imagine you answering that question as it relates to that neighbor who just gets under your skin what does love require or in your own marriage and family life that uncle that you know is coming to a family reunion this fall you got to answer the question what does love require there's great joy and great peace in loving one another, it's the rule. It's the rule we'll be judged by, not saved by, we'll be judged by and we'll be rewarded by how well we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We'll be rewarded by how we love our, we love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's bring peace by asking the question, what does love require? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for friends. Thank you for family. Thank you that we don't have to move to be close to people we love. You've given us this church, this beautiful property, and a cool day to enjoy your word. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to accept Christ crucified for your sins, I invite you right from where you're seated to say, God, today I want to believe your son Christ died for my sins. I believe he was raised from the dead. If that's your decision this morning, with every eye closed and head bowed would you just raise your hand i want to celebrate your decision raise it high so i can see it anyone today say yes to christ crucified for my sins raise it real high so i can see it lord thank you for this glorious day amen